Pope St. John Paul II said that discovering Christ always again and always more fully is the most wonderful adventure of our life. Blazing the Trail is a weekly conversation where we talk about this adventure with courage and hope while sharing stories about what the Holy Spirit is doing in Western Oregon and beyond. Welcome back to Blazing the Trail. My name is Miriam Marston. It is great to be with you each week here on Mater Day Radio and through the Archdiocese of Portland's podcast channel. So each week on the show, I normally kick things off by asking my guest how he or she became increasingly interested in and active in their Catholic faith. My guest on this episode, Father David McConey, gives a really succinct answer to this question. Um, As a young adult, he started to go to daily Mass because when he went, he found that life made sense for 20 minutes a day. And I really loved that response. Maybe he didn't have the answer to every question at the time, but there, in the holy mystery of the Mass, there was something that was giving order and meaning to things. It's actually one of the things I love about the Catholic Mass, and it's something I remind the children and the adults that I work with at the parish as they're preparing to receive the sacraments, that everything is done for a reason during the liturgy. There's nothing random or arbitrary. Every gesture, word, color, movement, it's all saturated with meaning and purpose. We just we have to be patient and curious enough to look more closely at the Mass and discover what is truly happening. I think a lot of folks, and I've certainly been guilty of this too, we go through all the motions, sometimes with our arms crossed in a frown, because we don't really want to be there. And that's not going to be surprising if we don't really know why we're there. And yes, it is an act of obedience to attend Mass, and that obedience is good. But if there's no awe or astonishment or understanding behind that obedience, our hearts risk becoming hardened over time, even resentful. So let's keep that childlike wonder alive in our hearts every time we go to Mass. Let's be radically open to what God is doing through the beauty and the gift of the liturgy. You'll hear Father David mention the influence of St. Augustine. So before I dive into the interview, I thought I would share a few quotes by this famous saint. In his confessions, he writes, What does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. That is what love looks like. My friends, I'm challenged by that definition of love. We won't go far in evangelization without the eyes to see misery and want and the ears to hear sighs and sorrows. That attentiveness and compassion helps to direct our steps as we seek to do God's will. Now, the most well-known words by St. Augustine are found right at the beginning of his confessions. He opens his autobiography with this passage. Great are you, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is your power, and of your wisdom there is no end. And man, being a part of your creation, desires to praise you. You move us to delight in praising you. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You know, so much of evangelization is precisely a response to the restlessness in the human heart. Every baptized person is called into this mission of directing and accompanying restless souls to Jesus, because it's only life in Christ that brings us to the deepest experience of reality and truth and love. 
we find in Him everything that we've been looking for and more. So please enjoy my interview with Father David as he shares a bit of his own story and reflections on church history, some book recommendations, and what he believes young people are looking for today. Joining me on the show today is Father David McConey, Professor of Church History and Director of the Catholic Studies Center at St. Louis University. He's also the editor of Homiletic and Pastoral Review. Father David, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. How are you? Miriam, thank you for having me. It's nice to see you again. It's been a long time since we've known each other. It has. Our paths crossed in Oxford a number of years ago. I, I, you were there. I, I think, were you, were you studying at the time, Father David? I was doing my doctorate in church history, yes, 03 to 06, so it must have been during that time. It was. It was a great chapter of of my own life, and I was grateful that our paths crossed and that we've been able to stay in touch uh, these years later. So, um, Father David, if if we could go ahead and hit that rewind button, even uh, before Oxford, um, and let's talk about a bit a bit about your own background. So, uh, maybe hometown, family, what that journey of uh, to faith has looked like, uh, the path of your own vocational discernment, how all of this has led you to where you are today in your ministry, writing, teaching, and your work. Well, that's a, yeah. That's Take a big it from question. <laughs> I guess in him. some ways, my introduction to the Lord's bounty and goodness was I grew up in a vineyard in Michigan. My family still runs a winery, uh, fourth wow. generation. And so tradition and wine and just the way things are done properly meant a lot to me growing up. Yeah. And I was raised in a very Catholic home. My mom, in fact, was a convert. Okay. And uh, daily mass was something that was not expected, but encouraged. And in fact, you could get out of chores if you went to daily mass. So I chose that option. Um, fast forward for me, it wasn't until I met the Jesuits at Marquette University. I'd been thinking about priesthood, maybe, but I didn't have the uh, I didn't I didn't have a vision or a sense of priesthood that I thought I would really enjoy. I didn't I had to leave that small town. I didn't want to be a parish priest, and I didn't know what else to do. But when I took my first theology class. It was actually called The History of Atheism with Father Donald Keefe, who was a giant. I got to know about Jesuit spirituality. I got to meet these men. And although I didn't join until I was 27, I just couldn't really shake the Jesuit charism of finding God in all things. I went to work for a while uh, as an arbitrage clerk at the Mercantile Exchange, uh, trading futures. And uh, this is in the late 80s when that was what America told every boy they should be after. And uh, I started to go to daily mass once again, not out of any kind of great devotion or doctrinal search. It was mainly because the ritual of liturgy made me feel comfortable 20 minutes a day. I knew when to sit and stand. I knew what to say. I knew when to shut up. And like the, and like the cacophony of the mercantile exchange floor, life made sense for 20 minutes. And the whole sense of mother church, I never left the church. I never had kind of a major reversion at all, but just the familiarity and the, sweetness of liturgy made sense. And I thought, well, maybe I should at least try the Jesuits. Mm-hmm. I joined the novitiate and that was, that was 30 years ago wow. uh, this year that I made those first overtures and been extremely happy and blessed since. So it all started with kind of a simple, small, maybe there's something else here yeah. and it's grown yeah. into something quite, yeah, quite, I'm quite that. grateful. What did those first years of your priesthood look like then? Uh, what kind were you, uh, what did your assignments look like? What, what did your ministry look like at that time? Well, I was ordained in the uh, summer of 03. And as typical with our 
most of our men, we do parish work for a while. And I was at a parish in Cincinnati, St. Xavier Parish. It was a great experience. It's a downtown parish. Procter and Gamble employs thousands of people right across the street. So there were confessions constantly. There was daily mass at least once a day for me. Um, in fact, I've never missed a day of mass for my priesthood, which is something I promised the Lord I would do. So whether it be alone or with a hundred people or two people, um, but that was a good experience. But honestly, most of my priesthood has been stamped less by liturgical or parish life and more by academic life. So okay. in October of 03, shortly thereafter, I went to Oxford and, uh, I always have had a love, obviously, of other things in academia. So I actually became a chaplain at an all-girls boarding school in Headington, Rye, St. Anthony. That was a really wonderful experience, getting to know these young young kids from all over the world, quite honestly. Many of them weren't Catholic, but they were good and thirsty and asked great questions. And our maths would be uh, fairly small, but the kids would really gather when I came to campus and just ask questions. And they were intrigued, I think, by the collar. When did you uh, land back into St. Louis then? When did that happen? Well, December of 06. So after three years, uh, having completed the doctorate, uh, the DPhil in ecclesiastical history, I interviewed at various places and St. Louis certainly was the best fit. And my provincial mission me here. And that was almost 15 years ago now. So awesome. Yeah. Now, you mentioned, I mentioned earlier, you're a professor of church history. Is there a particular area of church history that you'd like to focus on? And, and honestly, what could our listeners maybe glean just from this brief interview uh, from that area of, of church history? Well, I think for Christians, we have to understand that our faith is not something that is built by consensus or uh, constituted by immediate needs. It has answers to immediate needs, and it does respect the consensus, but our faith is a living, organic conversation. And my argument for why church history is important, because as C.S. Lewis says, you can't intelligently join a conversation at 11 p.m. that began at 8 p.m. You have to understand the players and the characters and the themes. Yeah. Excuse me. And that's why church history, I think, is so important, because it brings you into this great conversation in in a very integrated and authentic manner. It's not just something like, okay, now we have to... Now we have to answer the, I don't know, Black Lives Matter movement, or we have to answer. Right. I mean, these things are essentially important, but they, for the Christian, come from a particular way of doing things and conceiving of things like the human person and social justice right. and God and so on. Well, Father David, someone who, you know, church history is long and rich and vast. For someone who just kind of wants to start to learn about church history, where what direction might you point them to? Great question. Uh, I'm a big fan of Ignatius Press, obviously. I, um, I'm i a big fan of what Catholic Answers does, catholic.com. And there's some really bright young converts doing church history there, Jimmy Aiken and Trent Horn and yeah. Carla Roussard. And they have tracks and MP3s and things like this. You can listen to church history. I myself have done a couple. I just got published Christ Unfurled, the first 500 years of Jesus's life, which is a cheeky wow. title. But it's the Catholic way of doing church history. It's not just a bunch of people organizing themselves. It's Christ unfurling himself, unleashing himself through time and space and cultures and people in order to keep his presence alive. So it might sound like a silly question, but does it make sense that if someone wants to start, do they move very chronologically? Or do you suggest another way of looking at church history? Uh, That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, I'm a believer that you let your desires lead you if they're good and holy, which this would be. So if you have a desire to know about the Trinity, you could start there or Christology. You could start with the church councils because those are really flashpoints within our history. Nicaea in 325, which gave us the creed we recite. 
381, First Constantinople, which gave us a Holy Spirit kind of theology that we say in the creed and so on. But I would let the person's desires lead. And then I would, we're blessed to have such a huge treasury of things today. The catechism, yeah. uh, Bishop Aaron, Word on Fire. We have so many websites and possible videos and books. And so just let someone run with their desires. Let them be interested in what they're after. Right, because we know they're they're going to find something. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they're interested in, it will lead them somewhere. Well, as um, Cardinal Newman says, to to read is to cease to be a Protestant. I mean, the more you follow something through and go for the ultimate origins, you'll find the church. Yeah, it's interesting. Years ago, I had I had a friend who told me this was many years ago. I was just kind of coming back to the faith, and she said something that for me at the time sounded very kind of bold and almost controversial. She said, "Miriam, if you keep looking for the truth, you'll eventually land in the Catholic Church." Um, she said, "Just keep looking, keep looking." And it was uh, it's over time I've kind of unpacked her 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 statement, um, and I realized like, wow, the the more the more I read, the more I learn the more I experience the liturgy, the sacramental life of the church, it's like, I just am keep, I keep being called home back right. to the church over and over again. You know, Chesterton you, says, Chesterton says the Catholic church is the only institution bigger on the inside than on the outside. Once it. you go in, you just keep looking and finding and meeting people and encountering the experiences that you've had. And it's an amazing, this is Christ's body. This is not a merely human institution. I mean, none of us are, well, we're all sinners, um, oh, and yeah. none of us yeah. deserve or could be able to build something so beautiful, but the Lord has done it despite our <laughs> infidelities. Yeah, and, and Chesterton, and you remind me, he also says that, you know, yes, the church has like these walls, you know, but they're walls of a playground, and we come here and we discover just true happiness, true enjoyment. Um, so yeah, plenty plenty of good wisdom from Mr. Chesterton. For those just tuning in, I'm speaking with Father David McConey. And uh, Father, as the theme of this show is uh, is evangelization, when you look back on church history, how do you see, we've always had this mission from the very beginning. How have you seen it kind of change over time just in terms of how it's done, who is actually taking the lead with evangelization? Could you speak a bit to that? Well, that's an excellent question. I think as we progress as a church, some people fall in, some people fall out of favor, but yeah. foundational figures like Augustine and Ambrose and John Chrysostom, um, these people remain. Now we bring new questions to them. And so their voice is heard in a different way. Right. But also as we grow, we receive new lights like Cardinal Newman just ordained, St. John Paul II, yeah. or just ordained, just canonized. <laughs> um, we, we get these new authoritative voices, which makes the church, as Augustine says, ever ancient, ever new. Yeah. And that's what Vatican II's job was, to back up, to look at the resources, but also to update. So there is no one golden era of the church. Uh, because of the Blessed Sacrament on earth, Christ is no more or no less present anywhere in any time than he was when he walked the streets of Jerusalem. And that's what I think gives the church a certain uh, buoyancy, a certain confidence, and an ability to teach what is true and not just try to keep up. Yeah, no, I know. I think you're right. There, uh, We might think that somehow God's presence has receded, and it hasn't. You're absolutely right. That that's he right. Is, he is absolutely here. You and know, we can all play that game if I only lived 2,000 years ago. Right. No, you'd be the same person you are today, just <laughs> probably a lot smellier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Father David, in your in your work, in your ministry, um, you know, you've, you've done a lot with, uh, I think college students. Is that correct? That's right. Um, yeah. yeah. So for those, what, what have you found that, um, 
faith, the church, a life in Christ has really, where has that really met college students? Because they, they have a certain set of just kind of challenges and desires. Where do you see really faith responding to some of those deepest needs and aches among that demographic of, of, of folks? I would say first and foremost, their desire for community. This is a group that knows the fragility of family life, of social life, the insecurity of political life. And what I find, at least with the students at St. Louis University, their desire to be together in virtuous friendships really does motivate them. Hmm. Pizza helps, but um, the fact that they can know they have a place to belong, that they have a voice, that they have a place where they matter is really essential. For example, we have two full days of Eucharistic adoration. Um, 48 hours. And we have 100, I just checked, we have 147 kids on that that email list, the, the group me. And they come and they are experiencing for the first time, maybe a sense of community rooted, not in not in games, not in frivolity, but in silence, in deep prayer, in, in questions that matter. And so I find, I'm quite hopeful that if we just create the place where they can come, they'll respond. And I think COVID has helped some reprioritization occur. So we'll see how that pays off. I'm really intrigued by the numbers. Um, a, a, a good Dominican nun, sister friend of mine pointed out that uh, seminaries are up in number this year while women's religious are down. Hmm. And her theory was that uh, women need community in which to discern. Weekend retreats, uh, friendships, laughter, where men need to slow down and shut off a bit. And so that's what's happened during COVID, which really could be a way of, I think, approaching the next generation. Guys, turn off your phones. Um, Women, here's this vocational discernment retreat. Um, Come together and talk about what the Lord's doing in your life. So men just don't talk as easily with each other that way. That is that is interesting. That's an interesting case there. Father David, what are your hopes and dreams for, for our church in these coming years, especially coming out of it's it's been a bumpy few years <laughs> in, mm-hmm. within the life of the church and really what we've seen with the pandemic. What yeah, what do you hope to see uh, in terms of renewal and evangelization in say like the next five years or so? You ask that question. The first thing that comes to my mind is mercy. Mm-hmm. That the church shows mercy. The church receives mercy. That we don't get caught up in the tabloids and in the. Yeah culture that longs to um, exploit and and ridicule. Yeah. I mean, Ignatius of Loyola was quite clear that the good spirit is gentle. The evil spirit mocks and belittles. And I sometimes fear we live in a culture that is too intent on mocking and belittling. And our church has to be somehow different. It has to be a place of, of welcome. It has to be a place of truth. And it has to be a place of joy. And those things will only come out of silence mutual understanding and recognition of the other and therefore mercy. I love that leading with mercy. And that is of course, something we hear a lot from Pope Francis too. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's pontificate really has been marked by this, this call to lead with mercy. So for that, I, I'm very grateful to our Holy Father who's really brought that personally. He's brought that very much front and center in my own walk of faith. And it's a challenge. I'm like, Oh my goodness, I need to, to grow in mercy. He says that we must be a member of the army of the forgiven too. And can you imagine nice. the impact that it would be? Uh, we have men and women who understand, who have encountered that mercy of God and therefore are, are compelled to go out into the world, bringing that experience of mercy towards others. It would, uh, well, it would change the world, Father, wouldn't it? It certainly changes the understanding of what an army is, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the great paradox of Easter that yeah. 
the Lord is able to work in our weakness more than in our strength. Because when we're strong, the Lord is usually an afterthought where we're successful. And, but where we're weak, where we cry out, where we know we need forgiveness, that's where we ultimately let him in. And so the cross is that great weapon. And the fact that we Catholics have not taken the corpse off the cross has been very hmm. significant for me this year. Yeah. But if, if the body were removed, it would all be about God's power. But it's ultimately about God's weakness, that he's come to share our pain and our struggles and even our death. And the more we meditate on that corpse, the more we meditate on a crucifix, the more we realize ultimately what God wants to do is not just defeat, but to, to win us over, to make us melt before his, his very body and blood. I mean, we all want Easter, right? We all want Easter, but you can't get there without Good Friday. So that constant reminder of how the Lord saved us, not, not from heaven, but from earth. Yeah. He saved us not through life, but through death. And that, that should invert every category we have, especially when it comes to war and armies and yeah. community, right? Father David, you've been living in this academic scene for a while. Uh, what are some uh, books that you might recommend to folks who want to just deepen their own prayer life? Let's start with that. Um, in their own sense of mission, um, in their walk of faith. Uh, but I also, I like to ask this question, are there a few saints that you've encountered along the way that you've befriended that you would encourage others to grow in devotion and friendship to? That's a great question. Uh, two things come to mind because they were both my Lenten reading as well as just great classics. First is the Archbishop of Mexico City, Martinez, whose book on the Holy Spirit, The Sanctifier. It's just been put into English and it's a it's a real invitation to let the Spirit uh, have every moment of our day. Lent ends with Easter, but Easter doesn't end until Pentecost. And it's that outpouring of the Spirit that Christ's body is, is released, you know. Yeah. Secondly was um, Fulton Sheen's The Mystical Body. Mm -hmm. uh, just reprinted again, but an excellent introduction to who we are as church, because who we are ultimately as Christians are Christ's other selves, mm -hmm. extensions of his own presence. And so to me... One can only grow in prayer and in mission insofar as one understands oneself to be uh, the vehicle of the divine that Christ longs to live his life in us, through us, and even as us. And to offer his glory, his power, his majesty, our daily lives is the way he continues to incarnate himself. And so anything on prayer from Ignatius Press, Peter Kreeft, K-R-E-E-F-T, is always a reliable guide in terms of apologetics and doctrine and morals. Yeah. Uh, Scott Hahn, of course, and all that Emmaus Road is doing out of Franciscan University. These are all worthwhile uh, and, and uh, helpful uh, ways yeah. to grow in our holiness. And uh, yeah, to circle back to the second part of my question, uh, just some friendship with saints that have been particularly helpful in your own life. Well, for me, at least, that question would direct me right instantly to the Confessions of St. Augustine, um, yeah. a classical text from 397. Yeah. I did an annotated version for Ignatius Press's critical edition series. So hopefully there's helpful notes throughout the margins. But Augustine's life story is not much different than any of ours. Um, so I would I would encourage anyone to grow in union with uh, Saint in union with Christ with Saint Augustine. Therese of Lisieux is a standard, right? Yeah. Um, her letters of her parents have revealed a new side of what it means to be a saint. That first married couple. Uh, which is essential, I think, for too long. Saints were these distant, pious creatures that lived in monasteries or convents, which just isn't true. And that's what's exciting about today. We finally have pictures and movies of actual saints, not just wood carvings or stained glass windows. Yeah. And so uh, people like even Dorothy Day 
to read great Catholic literature, um, to read even C.S. Lewis, who wasn't technically Catholic, but I would consider him very saintly. We just finished a reading group on the great divorce with adults here at St. Louis University, and it was wonderfully received. So there's so much out there, but the standards, Frank Sheed, Maisie Ward, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings is a real allegory for what it means to be on Christian pilgrimage. A lot of those uh, folks have brought me closer to Christ, each in their own way. That's what's so beautiful. And I, I think uh, I think both C.S. Lewis and Chesterton wrote about this, about how we find such diversity and variety among holy men and women, um, and how it's actually the tyrants that are so boring and all look That's the right. same. They all but look alike, right? They all look alike. But the creativity that we find uh, in holiness is, um, yeah, is really beautiful to see. Well, Father David, we have come to the end of our time together. I am so grateful for this conversation. It's good to catch up. And I just ask that the Lord continue to bless your priesthood and your ministry. Amen. Thank you, Miriam. Need your prayers. Thank you. God bless you. Maybe there's something else here. Those words were on Father David's heart as he was starting to attend daily Mass and he began to think and pray about the path that God was calling him on. I think that simple statement sums up how many people move towards that first threshold of faith, getting a sense that there's something here, something in the church that is worth looking at and exploring. If our efforts of sharing the gospel aren't somehow stirring up that response in other people, then we might have to rethink how we're going about the mission. I think the Christian life should be one that that gets attention, not in a prideful sense, but rather it's a life that maybe looks a little ridiculous in the eyes of the world, but it radiates this inexplicable sense of peace. It makes someone looking at it from the outside pause for a moment and think, huh, maybe there's something else here. Father David noted the saying by Chesterton that the church is larger on the inside than it is on the outside. Now, for any of you who might have watched an episode of the popular British TV show, Doctor Who, this will sound familiar. It's the line used to describe the main character's time machine known as the TARDIS, and it's bigger on the inside than the outside. What looks like an ordinary telephone booth is a remarkable machine that flies through time and space. But this doesn't just apply to the church or the TARDIS. It applies to people, too. In a sense, we are bigger on the inside. There is so much more. There are so many layers to each and every person. To go back to St. Augustine, he writes, Who can map out the various forces at play in one's soul? Man has a great depth, O Lord. The hairs of his head are easier by far to count than his feeling, the movements of his heart. And this is where we land on the importance of mercy, which Father David mentioned when I asked him about his hopes and dreams for the church. If we know that all the people around us are full of stories and layers and carrying baggage that we never see, how can we be anything but a little more merciful towards them? Thank you so much for tuning in. Please join me next time as we continue to hear stories of how the Holy Spirit has been moving in our world today. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, produced through the studios of the Archdiocese of Portland. Join us in our mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ across Western Oregon by visiting archdpdx.org.